Before we look at the vulnerability of God, let me just make a couple more comments about forgiveness. A problem that we have in believing and trusting God to forgive us as cheerfully, as easily, as quickly, and thoroughly as the Bible describes is a combination of three different forgivenesses that we see. First of all, we don't forgive ourselves like we should. So there's this personal, masochistic, Catholic, Buddhist way of self-flagellation in which we're whipping ourselves or beating ourselves or torturing ourselves that we're just terrible sinners. That is not taught in the Bible. That kind of a Catholic, monastic way of viewing your sins and somehow by suffering some pain yourself, you're going to help expiate them, is not scriptural. And so we've got that mechanism, and some have it more than others, in which they reflect too much on their thoughts and feelings and measure things too much by themselves when they should be measuring by faith in God's Word. So they don't forgive themselves. Then they don't forgive others because when someone offends them or sins against them a time or two or five or ten or more, they have difficulty forgiving them. So that weighs on their measurement of forgiveness. And then they're not forgiven by others, which is the point I emphasized the most when I was preaching earlier this morning. So by those three factors, other people don't forgive you very readily sometimes, and you may feel the consequences of sins in your relationship with them, and you may not forgive others as quickly as you should, and then there's this, you don't forgive yourself. And we reason through it in all kinds of ways. We know we sinned. Because we're proud, we beat ourselves extra for it. It's not a sign of humility because you beat yourself for sin. It's because you've disappointed yourself and you think you're better than that. But we're all sinners. And, and you think that you're less holy than God is, and God is more severe in His hatred of sin than you are, so that if you haven't forgiven yourself, then surely God is really angry with you. And that's just not the case. The case is to look in the Word of God and believe that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So don't measure God's forgiveness by you forgiving yourself or you forgiving others or others forgiving you. Measure God's forgiveness by His Word. Measure God's forgiveness by the price that was paid for the forgiveness of your sins, the precious blood of His own Son, Jesus Christ. And there is where you can find complete forgiveness. Vulnerable. Vulnerable. Is God really vulnerable? Vulnerable. The way I've defined the word for us, and it's slightly different than the dictionary definition of the word, is His susceptibility to being influenced or one by another to feelings or favor toward them. When God is vulnerable, He is susceptible to being influenced or to be won to feelings or favor toward us. The true definition of vulnerability is your capability of being injured or invaded. You're vulnerable to attack. You're vulnerable to wounds. But I'm using it in the sense that it's susceptibility. God is open and susceptible to being influenced by us. And He is influenced by us. 
And the first passage of Scripture that, that should come to your minds rather quickly is Hebrews chapter 4, where it describes the Lord Jesus Christ in His priesthood, meaning in His role between God and us. The vulnerability of Jesus Christ in His humility when He came to earth is not so much my point this afternoon. I'm looking at the vulnerability of God. God is moved by His children. And I'm going to show you that from some passages of Scripture. In Hebrews 4, it says this about our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 15, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. There's two negatives telling us positively that Jesus Christ as our high priest is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And therefore he is able to succor them that are tempted, according to Hebrews chapter 2 and the last two verses there. In 1 John chapter 3, the Bible tells us, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. When we look at God being vulnerable, being susceptible to being influenced or won in order to show favor and kindness and feelings toward us, we want to start with the fact that He is our Father, and He is our Father by choice, and He is our Father by adoption. And 1 John 3 verses 1 and 2 tells us that. What manner of love? It is not just... some particular kind of love that you may have in your mind, it is love that results in adoption as His children. And so therefore, God has established Himself in a father-child relationship with us. And a father-child relationship results in a vulnerability because fathers have a vulnerability toward their children. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, which is the same type of language is used in Galatians 4, 6. But in Romans 8, 15 it says, Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. If you want to walk with God, you should not have a spirit of fear toward God. This fear being painful terror or troubling disquietness about God being ferocious or angry against you. You shouldn't have that. That is the spirit of bondage. Like you're a slave to God. Like you're just a creature and God is out to punish you. And we haven't received that spirit. That is not the spirit of the gospel. That is not the Holy Spirit. That is not the spirit that we have as the children of God. Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, being father in Aramaic, father being translated from Greek into English, it's just a double father. Abba, father. So God has chosen to relate to us as father to child, father to son, and that's where we start with him being vulnerable. Because he's chosen that very personal, very intimate, connected relationship that we actually have a grasp of, and He expects us to compare our fathers and our activities as fathers with His. This is so true that it says in verse 17, if we're the children of God, then we're heirs. Heirs of what? 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Because of this adoption. We have been adopted as God's children. It's just not creator-creature. It's just not God-saved sinner. It's father-son. Incredible. And we've preached an adoption many times before, but it's really where we start when we look at the word vulnerable and think about God being moved by our circumstances, moved by our prayers, moved by our relationship to Him, that He wants to be affected by it in feelings and favors toward us. In Psalm 103, which I read earlier today, it says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth. So there it is, the comparison between God and earthly fathers. And an earthly father does make differences between a 3-year-old and a 13-year-old, between a 5-year-old and an 18-year-old. Earthly fathers do that, God does that, because He's moved, and He's influenced, and He's susceptible to the fact that we are or we are not gifted to do certain things. We are or we are not under certain pressures in our lives. He reflect, He sees that. He knows that. He's moved by it, which means he's vulnerable, like a father is, in looking at the different ages of his children. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 7, If ye then, being evil, evil what? Evil fathers, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more does your heavenly Father know how to give good things to them that call upon him? See, there's a comparison again. He is vulnerable. You know, if children, children should know, but they sometimes don't take advantage of it like they, they could. A child who is living a virtuous life and comes and asks his father for help, it is a moving thing to a father. Because the father wants to be there for their, for the son or the daughter. He wants to do something for them. And if you've had that experience and you know that, then when the Bible says, if you being evil have those kind of yearnings towards your son and want to give good things to them or to a daughter, how much more is your heavenly Father moved that way to give good things to them that ask Him? So there, we know that we're God's children by adoption. We see in the Bible that we're supposed to make that comparison And so we see it, and it's very comforting to know that God is vulnerable like a father to us, and we, His children, adopted because He loves us through a a tremendous price He paid for us through the blood of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, we can go to Him, and He is moved by us. And the priest that is sitting at His right hand was touched in all points of the feelings that we're touched by. He's touched by them. And so there is very close connection to us, and God is vulnerable, meaning He is moved to care for us and act on our behalf. Now look at Genesis chapter 32, which hopefully you read last evening. This has got to be one of the favorite passages on the subject of God's vulnerability. Genesis chapter 32. So much time could be spent, but just briefly, let's look at a few aspects of Jacob wrestling with the Lord. You have heard me say, and some of you who have been here for many years have heard me say many times, as a child, this story baffled me on several counts. Why would God say to Jacob, Morning's coming. Let me go. 
in my mind, probably all the way up to around 30, in my mind, if God wanted to get away from Jacob, he could get away right now, easily. But why would he ask to get away? And do you know what happened when he asked? It's morning time and I need to go. Jacob said, I will not let you go. Now that almost sounds disrespectful and irreverent. But it's not either of those things. And he couldn't get away from Jacob. That didn't, that bothered me. And then he said that Jacob had beaten him in the wrestling match. He had prevailed and won. I cry, uncle. Okay. Whatever you want, I'll give you. That is in Genesis 32 verses 24 down through verse 28. Let's read them. Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, when God saw that he didn't prevail against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh. When God realized he couldn't win, that's troubling. Uh-uh. It's wonderful. It's precious. It's glorious. Love this. Do you know this about your relationship with God? You have them. He's your father. Go to him and wrestle with him. Lord, I need this. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Well, that shows he does have some power, doesn't he? He could put out a commission the strongest joint and muscles of his body. And he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, and these, this he is Jacob, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he, that is God, said unto him, What is thy name? And he, that is Jacob, said, Jacob. And he, that is God, said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. You win. I'm changing your name to remember this great event that you beat me in a wrestling match. That this is what's in Genesis 32. And you should take delight in that. In your life, wrestle with the Lord. Don't let Him go. Claim Him. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking the way that Mike Murdoch and Benny Hindu on television. I'm talking what the Bible says right here. When you have a need, go to Him and appeal to him, and don't let him go. He wants to bless you. He's moved. He was moved by Jacob's predicament, and Jacob's predicament has already been mentioned. Esau was coming with 400 men. He had 11 children, and they were all under the age of 12. And he was going to meet Esau with 400 men. But here's the event. Jacob, Esau finally met Jacob and fell on his neck and kissed him. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel because he's a prince with God. And would to God, every man, woman, boy and girl in this assembly would be a prince with God in knowing that they can go and wrestle with the Lord about a matter. Right. And they can prevail. Because Jacob did. Just for reference sake, I want you to remember that Jacob, according to this passage, and this passage is repeated by Hosea 1,500 years later, in Hosea chapter 12, verses 3 through 5, Jacob wrestled with God, Jacob wrestled with an angel, Jacob wrestled with a man. Are you able to reconcile all of that together? There are people who come up with Christophanies. 
Meaning Jesus Christ appearing in the Old Testament. Jesus of Nazareth did not appear in the Old Testament. There's nothing about Jesus here. This is an angel in the form of a man representing God. Period. It often happens that way in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord represents the Lord. Who do you think he's talking for himself? So when he speaks, he's speaking on behalf of God. And he, he can't wrestle with an angel because an angel doesn't have a body, so he had to take on the body of a man. I don't want to waste any more time on that point, but I hope that you'll know the Bible says he wrestled with God, an angel, and a man. Now, which was it? Yes. Enjoy. I enjoy it. And I like that the Bible puts things that way so that people come up with Christophanies and, and prove their own ignorance of Scripture. Jesus Christ did not exist until Mary had a baby. And he didn't wrestle for several months after that. And I'm not trying to be foolish about the Word of God. I'm trying to be foolish about the ideas that men come up with. What we want out of this passage is God is vulnerable. God can be beaten in a wrestling match. God can say, let me go. And you can say, I will not let you go and get the blessing. That is what it means to pray without ceasing. What would ceasing have been here? Well, I can't. Oh, you want to go? Okay. You didn't answer me in three times that I've prayed for this matter? Okay. I give up. That's ceasing in your praying. That's giving up the wrestling match. Lord, help us not to be that way. What a glorious event in the Bible to show us the vulnerability of God. You know Genesis chapter 18. We hardly need to turn there. God tells Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, Lord, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? And he appeals to him. Are you going to do something that's wrong? What if I find 50 righteous souls in that place? Are you going to destroy Sodom for 50 righteous souls? I will not destroy it for 50 righteous souls. Now God knew how many righteous souls were in that place long before Abraham tried to inform him about anything. But in the exchange between God and Abraham, God is moved by Abraham's request for 50. Yes, I'll spare it. I don't want to be guilty of what you're saying I could be guilty of, and that's destroying the righteous with the wicked. You say, is that how it's really working there? Yes, and Moses did it repeatedly. Moses did this over and over and over again by telling the Lord, if you wipe out the nation right now the way that you've just told me you want to, then the Canaanites are going to know that you weren't a big enough God to get your people into the land of Canaan. You say, that sounds disrespectful. No, it sounds like somebody understands the attribute of vulnerability of God. And so you bring up promises that God made to him and say, if you do this, those people are not going to recognize that you're the God of heaven that's able to do anything. They, They know what you did in Egypt, but look it, you couldn't get us to the land of Canaan. Everyone knows where we're going. They know that we didn't leave Egypt to live in the desert because we told Pharaoh where we wanted to go. We were going to the land of Canaan. But if you don't get us there, you fail. And that's how everybody's going to perceive it. Moses did it repeatedly. Abraham argued from 50 to 40 and 5 to 40 to 30 to 20 to 10 with the Lord because he's vulnerable to us reasoning with him about things like that. No, the Lord is not going to destroy the righteous with the wicked. But he responded to Abraham's praying. 
just like he responded to Moses praying, and he never wiped out the nation and started over again with Moses like he said he was going to on a number of occasions. This is God's vulnerability to us, and it's reasoning in prayer. There are sermons on the website from 1986 or sometime a long time ago that go through detail in explaining some of those, that, those prayers from the Old Testament that Moses made. Look at Isaiah 63, which you also were to read last evening. Isaiah 63, we're looking at the, at the fact of the attribute of God that He is vulnerable. He is moved by our situation and condition. He is susceptible to being influenced or to be won to feelings or favors toward us. We want to just look at some scriptures that teach us this. Now there's much in verses 7 through 15, but I want verse 9 so that I can just cut quickly to the point of this particular passage. Isaiah 63 and verse 9. In all their affliction, and he is speaking of the church of God in the Old Testament, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. That is vulnerability. When they had pain, he felt it. When they had trouble, he felt it. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. Does that help you understand? Angels and God's presence and God and the difference between the two. And I hope it helps. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. Notice it says love and pity. He pitied them because of the affliction they were in, because in all of their affliction, he was afflicted. That is a real father. There is stage fright, and it varies from little to much for men to get in front of other people and speak. There is fear of athletic events. There is fear of someone being put in the spot. Now, as an individual man, you know your level of fear and whether you can do it or not and how much, how much you are nervous before an event. But I want to tell you something. It's harder being a father, having your children doing it, than doing it yourself. I have learned that. It's painful. When my children get up here to do something, my sons get up here to do something, or any of you young men, Listen, I'm sweating so fast for you. My blood pressure's up. I'm feeling. I'm remembering what it was like. And you know, I I wish you would sit down and get up and do it for you in some respects, but I know that the way to get over it is for you to get up here. And every father should know a little bit of what I'm talking about. You'd rather do it yourself because you want to take away from them the, the angst and the fear and the anxiety that they have. And it's... It's what the Lord felt toward Israel. They were His children. He was their father. When they were afflicted, He was afflicted. When they were suffering in Egypt, He was suffering with them. In His pity, He felt for them. In His love, He redeemed them and carried them all the days of old. Isaiah 63, the purpose is we want to know God. We want to recognize and believe and trust and live our lives and walk with Him on the basis that God is moved by our situations. He knows when there's pressure on us. He knows when we're fearful. He knows when we're being pushed to the edge of the envelope of our abilities. He knows. And He's moved by it. He's moved when we call upon Him for help that we can't do it ourselves, but we want Him to intervene. Oh, look at Judges chapter 10. That groan from me is 
There are so many places to look and not enough time to look at them all. Judges chapter 10. Let's just look at a few of these and it'll be enough. Let's start at verse 15 of Judges 10. And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned. Do thou unto us whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Deliver us only, we pray thee, this day. And they put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. Do you believe that verse? His soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. When you're in misery, and do you know what the misery was from? Was it from their obedience or from their disobedience? It was misery from their disobedience. But when they repented, he then immediately was grieved, that his soul was grieved for the misery of his people because of the chastening he had brought on them for their sins. It was their fault, but he's still grieving. His soul is grieved. This is the God I want you to know and love. This is the God I want you to go and pray to. This is the God I want you to confess your sins to and know that He forgives you. This is the God that when you're in trials and troubles, and and it's pressing you and stressing you, He knows. And He's moved by it. He is vulnerable. That's a soul that was grieving for their misery. Oh, thank you, Lord. This is the Word of God. Look at 2 Samuel 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24. The angel is destroying the men of Jerusalem because David numbered Israel. Because God had a problem with Israel and was going to chasten them. And he used David for the event. Verse 16 of 2 Samuel 24. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Aaron of the Jebusite. The simple expression here that we want, the Lord repented him of the evil and told the angel, it's enough, stop. So you've got to trust your father. Your father in heaven, when he allows some stress into your life, now if you begged for that stress and you brought it on yourself, don't blame him altogether. But when you've got stress in your life, it's going to come to an end if you're trusting him for mercy because he's going to say, It is enough. Stop. Look at Psalm 106. Psalm, oh, we we want to know the full set of attributes of our God. We won't know Him perfectly ever, but we want to know Him as perfectly as the Bible describes Him to us. Psalm 106, verse 44, Nevertheless, He regarded their affliction. Here's a cross-reference for Isaiah 63, 9. Nevertheless, He regarded their affliction. But now, what is the nevertheless there for? Because of verse 43. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Have you ever provoked God and had to be brought low by him? Well, when he brings you low, this is what the Bible says about him. Nevertheless, though he brought them low, he regarded their affliction. The fact that he was chastening them and it was hurting them bothered him. When he heard their cry, and he remembered for them his covenant, and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He is vulnerable. Look at uh, Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. O Lord, we want to know thee as thou art. We don't want to set up ourselves and idle in our hearts. Show us. 
yourself in the pages of Scripture. Isaiah 31 and verse 20, and the word Ephraim is a nickname for Israel, the ten tribes. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Is that a beautiful verse? The Lord has looked that way at your life. The Lord has treated you that way. And this is a father. And a mother should be able to understand this. Is Ephraim my dear son? When there is a father-son or a mother-daughter, it doesn't matter which sex it is, when there is that kind of a relationship, there are tender feelings. What What did Solomon write about his relationship with Bathsheba? I was tender and only beloved in the eyes of my mother. Proverbs chapter 4, around verse 3. And so here it is, is Ephraim my dear son? Yes. Is he a pleasant child? Yes. For since I speak against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled, for I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. I want you to have that kind of confidence in God. I want you to know that God looks at you that way. Are you his dear son? If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his dear son. You are a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you his pleasant child? You are his child, made pleasant and beautiful in his legal and positional eyes by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're seeking to please him and confessing your sins and seeking to draw nigh unto him, that is how he views you. Delight in it. Rejoice in it. Thank you, Lord, for such wonderful statements. Can you turn over a few books to Hosea? Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, chapter 11. Hosea, chapter 11. Some of these combinations and the consternation in the Lord's heart is hard for us to grasp. But he's showing us that even when he's chastening us, because we're his children, we are not talking about Philistines, Egyptians, and Hittites. In any of these passages, we're talking about the Israelites. Even when he's doing it, he has very strong feelings for his people and pities them. Verse 8 of Hosea 11. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? He was going to have to send them into captivity. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel, deliver thee, into punishment. How shall I make thee as Adma? What in the world's Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboim? What is Zeboim? Adma and Zeboim are two of the cities of the plain that were next door neighbors to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the Lord is saying, I'm going to burn up your nation, but I can't treat you like I did Adma and Zeboim. How am I going to do this? Mine heart is turned within me. I'm having a conflict in my soul. My repentings are kindled together. My repentings of not wanting to do this are troubling me. They're coming together. But now God is just and God is merciful. So he did it. He exacted his justice upon them and chastened them. But at the same time he did it, he was very compassionate toward them. And all along he had the fact that he was going to deliver them out of that punishment. This is the word of God describing the Lord towards you. Even when you have sinned and he's bringing chastening into your life. 
He's having compassion towards you. Now what if you've confessed your sins and you aren't guilty of any great offenses and you're washed in the blood of the Lamb? Then think about His affection towards you and His vulnerability towards you. It is very great indeed. Why did Joseph's bowels yearn upon his brothers when they stood before him, and especially upon Benjamin? Because God puts those feelings in us and they're from him. How did Solomon know that if he threatened to cut a baby in half, her real mother would immediately come to the front? Because he knew about those feelings that parents have toward children, and the Bible wants us to understand that is our relationship to him. I am talking about a relational attribute. He is your father. You are his pleasant, delightful child. And even when he's chastening you, he has the best things in mind for you, and he's going to pull the plug on it as quickly as he can. Right. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. He's vulnerable. That's why he calls us the apple of his eye. Right. Do you think he's going to let somebody poke his eye out? And forgive my choice of words, but you know that pupil we take care. Oh, we take care of. We wear safety go- or we should wear safety goggles when we're using chainsaws, and we wear helmets, and we have windshields in our automobiles, and we're supposed to wear visors on our motorcycles if we wear a helmet and do things like that. Because it's the pupil that we care about. And he calls us the apple of his eye. We're the pupil of God's eye. He will protect us. That's why we're adopted as his children. We are specifically told that adoption should replace our fear of just being slaves with our spirit of adoption as being his children. He has made a way permanently open for us. If you'll turn over to Amos, it's the next book in your Old Testament. Let me show you... Let me show you Amos wrestling with the Lord in prayer. He's moved by human tears. He has them in a bottle. Do you remember what he told the men of Israel? Because your wives are coming to my altar, crying about the way you're treating them. There was treachery in the marriages of Israel. Because your wives are coming crying, I see their tears, and you are in serious trouble. Malachi chapter 2. Amos. Verse 1, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. This is a vision coming to Amos about some agricultural disasters that were going to come against Israel. And Amos is going to get them reduced by his prayers. Watch. Thus saith the Lord God, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. He he cuts back on what he was going to do. Verse 4. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. Now, you might, I'm amused, and I'm sharing a little bit of that amusement in my voice, 
But studying through this passage and considering it, I want you to be amused. I want you to delight in the Lord. This is wrestling with God. The Lord says, this is what's going to happen. I am going to plead with Israel. Amos says, we are so small, you're going to crush us. Please, Lord. Okay, I won't. Okay, I won't. Oh, the Bible's full of good stuff. Amen. All over the place. Even the book of Amos. I want you all to be so bold. In Luke chapter 11, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray with importunity. Is God vulnerable to importunity? Importunity means insistence and persistence to the point of irritating someone. In Luke 11, Jesus said, If you were in bed with your children, if, if a friend came to your house, and you went to your, you didn't have anything for them to eat. So you go to your neighbor who's in bed with his children. Is that neighbor going to get up because you're his friend and interrupt his sleep and get you something? No. Nope. How are you going to get that neighbor out of bed? Because you're going to stand at the door and keep ringing the doorbell until he gets up. And Jesus said that's how we're supposed to pray. That's wrestling. You say, that's just a, that's just a sorry. No, don't say that. That's the Lord's choice Amen. of an illustration of prayer. In verses 5 through 8 of Luke chapter 11, are you going to be like the widow woman and the judge in town was an unjust judge who didn't fear God and I don't fear man, I don't care about that widow. How are you going to get your case adjudicated? You're going to keep leaving messages on his answering machine and banging on his door until the judge says, before I go crazy, I'm going to get rid of this woman. It's Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Oh yes, I'm going to get rid of this woman. Do you know what Jesus said? Hear what the unjust judge saith. Why did Jesus say that? It was an unjust man. He didn't fear God. He didn't fear man. And he didn't care about the widow. Why should I listen to what he said? Because he's going to take care of that widow, lest the woman drives him crazy. Now what does that mean? It means that the unjust judge was vulnerable to a little widow woman if she besought him long enough. Right? I mean, do you follow that? Listen to the unjust judge. And shall not God redeem His elect or deliver His elect, though He bear long with them? Though sometimes God may take a while answering your petition, He will answer your petition. And so you shouldn't give up, and you should be as confident as we're learning today that God is vulnerable to us. You should never doubt that God cares, so you can cast your cares upon Him, for He careth for you. Is God generous? When He responds, He responds so different from men do. Churlish in the Bible is stingy. Who was a stingy man in the Bible? Nabal was churlish. He didn't want to feed David's men, even though he was basking in a very rich harvest. Do you know who? God showed his liberality by killing Nabal and taking his wife and giving his wife to David. That's liberality. And Nabal got to think about it for ten days before he lost his wife to David. That's the difference between churlish and liberal. When we say liberal, we don't mean a political leaning that is different from a conservative. We mean generous, because that's the way the word is used in the Bible. A liberal soul is a generous soul, and God is liberal in all his dealings. In in Psalm 40, in verse 5, God says this, or the, the psalmist says this about God. Psalm 40, in verse 5, many 
O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Now that is liberal. That is generous. That is extravagant in granting blessings and favors, and you should know that about God. You cannot ask for something with unless you're sinning, to be foolishly presumptuous that God cannot answer and that God cannot beat in giving you an answer. Remember, Elisha prayed for the double portion of Elijah's spirit. And Elijah was already a very spirited prophet of God, yet he got his request. When Elisha said it to Elijah, Elijah's response was, Thou hast asked a hard thing. But if you see me leave you, then God's given you that petition. Now Elijah thought it was pretty hard to get that one. And he told Elisha that. But if you go read, if you read that passage, the next words are, and he saw him. Elisha saw Elijah being carried into heaven by the chariot of God. He got the double portion. How does that happen? Because God is generous. Don't pray for little things. Pray for big things. You know, I've heard an expression I was taught as a child, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. And that is very scriptural. David attempted great things for God and he expected great things from God. By my God, I have run through a troop and by my God, I have leaped over a wall. He But you know, you can't get over, there's two things necessary to get over a wall or through a troop. You've got to do some running and God's got to bless your running. But you got to run. So you attempt great things for God and expect great things from Him because He's generous. He wants to outdo what you ask for. Look at Jeremiah 32. God is generous. Double pay for this next week. Who's getting a supper out of that? Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God. Do you ever talk this way to the Lord? There's an exclamation point there. Ah, Lord God. Behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Do you believe that about God when you go asking Him for something? Look at verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? I like this chapter of the Bible because the prophet is asking God and telling him that there's nothing too hard for him. And then God agrees and asks the question, is there anything too hard for me? No, there isn't. Look at verse 3 of chapter 33 with that foundation. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I will show you great things and mighty things that you haven't seen before, you don't understand. They're incomprehensible. They're not the normal experience of man. Do you know that David would say after his exchange with God in 2 Samuel 7, this is not the way of man. Do you remember those words? Because God is better than man. The most benevolent, the most generous, the most liberal, the most giving person you know is a far cry short of God's generosity. Trust Him. He is incredibly merciful. And those of us who've lived and we've called upon the Lord and depended upon Him, we can share experiences from our lives to show you that. 
And you and I were reminded last Lord's Day that we should have stones that we pull out of the middle of Jordan to set in our homes to remind us to tell our children, our children's children, and others of God's generosity in our lives. He is the Savior or the preserver of all men, especially them that believe. Look at Isaiah 32. Oh, you know that. It's, that's the, uh, the liberal soul shall be. God will bless the liberal soul. Look at Proverbs 22 and verse 9. I'm sorry for jumping around. You should be able to figure out the reason why. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 9. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed. If God will bless men that have a bountiful eye, what kind of an eye does he have? A bountiful eye that crushes us in our bounty. For he giveth of his bread to the poor. Proverbs 22 and verse 9 is a cross-reference with Isaiah chapter 32 verses 5 through 8 where there is described the difference between a churlish man and a liberal man. And by liberal things shall a liberal man stand. God wants us to be liberal and the reason he calls us to be liberal is because he's already been liberal to us. And he's been so liberal to us it should be easy for us to be liberal to others. Do you know the Bible says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things, the things, The things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. The things from justification to adoption to the eternal riches of heaven are ours through Christ Jesus because God is our Father and He's generous. If He had just saved us so that we hadn't gone to hell, He'd be a wonderful Savior as Jesus my Lord. But He's gone way beyond that in giving us an eternal inheritance of things positive. Getting into heaven for the faithful is not by the skin of your teeth. It's an abundant entrance shall be ministered unto you. According to 2 Peter chapter 1. All you have to do is add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and those other things that are listed there in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11. And an abundant entrance will be ministered unto you. Who's going to minister it? That means it's going to be served up to you. The angels of God who are the servants of His elect. That's generous. We're not barely saved. We're greatly saved. We're abundantly saved. Oh, the Bible just goes on and on with things like this. Why in the world, when God made promise to Abraham that he was going to bless his seed after him in a certain number of specific ways, which we realize as being the seed of Abraham, what did he do after that? Because it wasn't good enough for him. He added an oath to it. So that by two immutable things you could lay hold of the hope that is set before us. There are two immutable reasons why salvation through Jesus Christ is absolutely finished and certain. Because God promised, and because then He swore with an oath, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless thee. And those two things ought to give an anchor for our souls, according to Hebrews chapter 6. This is the generosity of God. Pick the most generous person you know. They are stingy in comparison. Rejoice in Him. He is forgiving. He is observant. He is vulnerable. And He is generous. He just pours out His blessings upon us. He dares those that weren't giving in Malachi chapter 3 to try me now herewith, prove me herewith. Bring your tithes and offerings into my storehouse and see if I don't pour you out a blessing that you can't receive. Now that's a lot. And you say, I don't know how he can do that. Well, that's because his measuring is different than yours. 
He fills it to a full measure. He then shakes it. He jumps on top and crushes it down. And it's still pouring over. Luke 6, 38. Where is He going to short you? Where has He shorted you? Put your trust in Him. Run to Him. He'll bury you with blessings. You're His precious child. You're His dear son. Call upon Him. He'll forgive. He'll bless. What does He promise those who walk uprightly? He'll withhold no good thing. Psalm 84.11 What does He promise those who delight in Him? The desires of their heart. Psalm 37.4 Sinner, my brethren, what hinders you from running to Him and making Him altogether your only portion in life? You think you can measure out like the Lord of heaven? You know, let me say it again. When... R.G. Letourneau was asked, how in the world can you give away 90% and still keep getting rich? He says, well, the Lord shovels it out to me and I shovel it back as fast as I can. But he's got a bigger shovel. That's a man who gave 90% of his income to the Lord and lived on 10%. And he died a rich man with 299 U.S. patents and a university named after him in Texas, a school of engineering for Christians. David loved God so much that when God said, you can't build my house, he paid for it. How did God deal with that? What happened to David financially? When we go and find David's, the last statement describing David's financial condition when he died, it says he was full of riches. Now, wait a minute. How do you give away everything you had to build the house of the Lord and die a rich man? Because you are never going to outgive the Lord. That's right. Because he's generous. You know, the Gentiles spend their whole lives seeking after the things of this world. And if we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, He'll just add all, He'll just add all these things unto us. Because we've already got everything else. We've got eternal heaven waiting, but He'll add to us even in this world. Look at 1 Kings 3. I'm almost done. Just give me a couple more minutes and I'm sorry. I'm not very sorry, but I am sorry a little. My repentings are kindled within me, but I'm going to go on for a couple more minutes. And I hope you understand that very reverently. The Lord, though chastening, still had in his heart, I can't wait till I can undo this. 1 Kings 3. The Lord appears to Solomon in the night and asks him, Ask what I shall give thee. The last sentence of verse 5. The last clause. Ask what I shall give thee. Solomon says, you bless my father David, I need wisdom because I'm just a little child. I don't know how to lead this great people. So give me a wise and understanding heart. And that's verses 6 through 9. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, because thou hast asked this thing and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment, because you want to be a good pastor, king, and shepherd of this flock, of my people, behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. That's precious. 
If you will put God's things first in your life, believe Him. Trust Him. And the testimony of Scripture, He'll give you those things that are the greater riches. Wisdom is a greater rich, is greater riches than gold and silver. But He gave Solomon both. Did Jesus say that if a man will give up his wife, his brother, his sister, his houses, his lands for my sakes, I will give him a hundredfold more in this world and eternal life in the world to come. Is that generous? Do we owe him to give up all those relationships without anything in return? We indeed do because he gave up his only begotten son for us. He is generous. Is it hard for you to think of Hannah's extra children? Bathsheba's Solomon? How good the Lord was? Manasseh's restoration to the throne of Judah? Job's double? Mary getting to see the resurrected Lord first? Prayer becomes a holy challenge and a dare to Almighty God because He's so vulnerable and generous to us. He can beat your wildest expectations. When it says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundant above what we can ask or think. You know, don't apply that at a low level because then it's too cheap. It cheapens God. Do you know what the context is of that verse? It's being filled with the love of Christ to the extent that you, by the knowledge that God gives you through his spirit, are filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above what we ask or think. Paul was praying that for the Ephesian saints and knew that God could do that and more. Spiritually, the greatest riches. Put your trust in him. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men churlishly, stingily, barely. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He's not going to rebuke you for being so stupid and needing his wisdom. He's not going to make you feel bad when you come asking for something. You know, you come asking your father for a little bit of money, and he says, what happened to the money I gave you before? Oh, I'm not going to ask. You know what I mean? So you go to the Lord and you say, I don't know what to do. Well, I gave you the Bible. He upbraideth not. He giveth liberally. He left that task for me. To tell you, I gave you the Bible. So let's learn the Bible. Let's study the Bible. Let's learn it. Everywhere I turn the Bible. Remember the economic disaster in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, the the six-fold description of economic disaster? Yet I will rejoice, because God will make my feet like hinds feet, and I will dance on my high places. That is God's blessing on those who put Him first. If you commit yourself to the Lord and trust Him the way that I have taught you today, He is able to give you a peace that passes understanding. It is beyond understanding. It doesn't make sense because it is so generous and so liberal. Who gets your affection? As we walk out of here today, who has your affection? What are you worked up about? What are you excited about? What things of this world have you really motivated? What do you want? What do you think is important? What are you going to spend your afternoon seeking? Who gets your affection? A person? The world? The devil? Any one of those you lose bigger than you can imagine because God is more generous than you can imagine and you have just cut off the fountain of blessing in your life by seeking satisfaction 
elsewhere. He is generous beyond what you can imagine. And if you will seek Him, He will show you those blessings in your life. And He can show you those blessings in all kinds of ways. It can be on the inside. Who would not want Paul's contentment and comfort in Jesus, contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ and comfort of the Holy Spirit, though he didn't own a thing? Was Paul rich in this world? Was Paul, is Paul rich in the next world? He was rich in both. And he didn't own a thing. Are you saying to yourself, I'd rather have the riches of this world? You are cheating yourself. May God bless the preaching of His Word today for you to remember that God is forgiving, observant, vulnerable, and liberal. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Please stand with me. Don't let anything cheat you, and don't let anything cheat the Lord. Let's give Him all our hearts. Let's delight in Him. Let's praise Him. Let's walk uprightly. We don't even need the things that He's offered us. He's already blessed us abundantly. But we want to know Him better. Father in heaven, we come to Thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, running to Thee by faith, Holy Father, thanking Thee, Abba, Father, for adopting us by Your predestinating grace, And a manner of love the world does not know that you would love your enemies and make them your children. We thank you that we are as Ephraim, a precious child. We thank you that you have yearnings in your bowels for us. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we've been wayward children and draw us close to thee. And, O Lord, as we draw close to thee, do thou draw close to us. Heavenly Father, I pray for every soul here and every soul that hears this message, that they will humble themselves before Thee, and by faith reach out and run to Thee. And Heavenly Father, lay hold of Thee, and never let Thee go. We want the blessing of Thy presence. We ask not for riches in this world, nor long life. We ask for the blessing of Thy Spirit, and the joy of Thy presence in our hearts, that we might delight in Thee, and walk with Thee all the days of our lives. Forgive us, For we have not let that be the chief concern of our souls. And go with us now as we part company. Walk with us. Be our Father. Show us all that we have learned today. When we come to Thee in confession, forgive us and fill our hearts with Your mercy. Let us remember that Your eyes are with us to show Yourself strong on our behalf, that You are vulnerable to our situations in life, and oh, so generous as you pour out your tender mercies upon us. We thank you. We bless you. Be with every other activity that we have remaining in this day and sanctify it and all that we've already done through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.